And a good day to you, everyone. This is Trevor Hall with Mining Stock Daily. And today is time for our Friday in-depth interview. Thank you so much for tuning in. We've got a very special guest. First time appearance on the show, that's Sam Broom. Sam Broom is a Sprott Global Resource Investment Executive working with alongside the likes of Rick Rule as part of the Sprott Global Resource Investments team. Sam's primary focus is on utilizing both his geological background and analytical skills to evaluate listed resource companies, particularly in the junior and mid-tier space, for investment opportunities. So we're going to get a little bit into his position there at Sprott and also get some of his analysis on the recent gold and silver markets, but also dive deep into what his thoughts are and what he's seeing on some of the base metals technicalities. We'd like to thank our sponsors for the podcast. That is Integra Resources, Brixton Metals, Western Copper and Gold, and Pacific Empire Minerals. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Remember, if you are listening to this show on Amazon Alexa, you are listening to an abbreviated version. The full-length interview can be found basically anywhere you find your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, you name it, we're most likely there. And if you would like to reach out with any ideas or feedback for the show, feel free to drop me a note at trevor at clearcreekdigital.com. I look forward to reading your emails and thank you for engaging with the show. And just a quick note on next week's shows, I will be traveling to the Yukon for the Yukon Mining Investment Conference and we'll be creating some content on the ground there, a couple site visits and then one day uh, conferencing and some one-to-ones. So next week's shows will be a little bit different as I'm on the ground there. So I should be fun and uh, give a little bit more context to the companies operating there in the Yukon. Look forward to that. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Sam Broom. Thank you for again. Hope you enjoy. See you in the end. And joining me now is Mr. Sam Broom from Sprott. Sam, thank you for joining us. First time on the show. Yeah, thanks, Trevor, for having me. It's it's an absolute pleasure. And so you and I have a number of things we want to kind of chat about. I've got questions for you. But before, you know, right before you and I connected, uh, I just finally took a look at the overall markets, which closed. We're recording this Thursday afternoon. We're seeing all-time highs <laughs> closing at both the Dow and the S&P. And you mentioned that the Russell was down. I mean, how much do you follow the, the overall markets on top of being more technical-oriented in the junior miners? Look, you always you always have to keep an eye on what's going on, you know, around the world in terms of the the broader macro um, picture. Obviously, for the last ten years, you know, the leader and where a lot of the money has flown has been the major U.S. indices. Um, you know, we've now got the S and P at new all time highs today. Um, you know, we we focus on the mining markets here at Sprott, so I'm by no means a, a you know, global leader on what's going on with the the S and P and the Dow and things like that. But certainly, it's 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 interesting in that, you know, despite a lot of bad economic data we're seeing, you know, the the U S indexes continue to to carry on higher. Um, I, you know, being oftentimes focused in the precious metal space and looking for signs of distress and trouble, um, it's interesting to me, as you pointed out, that the the Russell. Um, which tends to be much less um, receives much less passive money flow, as, as we all know. Passive is, is huge these days, um, and is more of a sign of what's going on in the underlying fundamentals of the economies. Some say, um, 
you know, that's that's actually down today and, and a significant way off all-time highs. So that's a little interesting data point that I'm, I'm keeping an eye on. Um, you know, to be frank, if I had to be bullish or bearish on the U.S. indices right now, that purely technically they, you know, a new breakout to all-time highs is not usually bearish. <laughs> so, um, look, there's a lot of momentum in those U.S. indices. Um, they buy the dip is it's been the way of the the way to play it for the last ten years, and it seems to be carrying on for now at least. Anyway, so yeah, if you go back six to seven months, I mean, we saw a big time gain back in last October, and then in December 2018, we saw a correction. I'm looking specifically at the Dow chart. We rebounded from that, and then saw another small correction in in excuse me in May, and we're have already come out of that. Out of those two big movements in the overall indices, were you thinking at those times this is when gold's finally going to start taking off, or did you did you actually think it was going to be an early second half 2019 play? You know, I've I thought the technical setup for gold has looked good and continued to look good since 2016. I mean, it's been tough at times because there's been some seriously major pullbacks during that time, um, but uh, you know. I've I've thought the constructive the technical outlook for gold has looked constructive from since that breakout we had back in 2016. Um, you've had a multi-year basing pattern that has continued to form. I, I will admit I thought back in 2017 we were about to break it break through to the top side as we've done this year. I was wrong on my technical read there. I, you know it's it's very hard to to get these right every time and the. Technicals are useful, but they're just technicals at the end of the day. Um, a whole lot else has to go on to, to for a breakout to happen. Um, so, look, I wasn't. I don't. I don't try and predict things on a week-to-week, month-to-month basis. I look at the longer-term picture. Um, that has continued to look constructive for the precious metals, and I think now we've got that that breakout. You know, I think that things look really, really um, bullish to me. Well, let's keep talking about gold, Sam. And there was movement in the last couple of weeks. You know, I think there was some foundational resistance uh, about 1360. We surpassed that, then jumped up to about 1440-ish. Do you think that we have established a $1,400 floor on the spot price of gold now? I think that the chances are reasonable. Um, if I was a betting man, I would probably say the chances are we go back below 1400. You know, we've, we've danced down around close to there again today. I would actually be totally fine if it went back towards that 1350, 1360 level. You know, we had a sort of sideways to, you know, bull flag for the technicians out there, you know, multi-week or multi-month even um, consolidation. In, in fact, I, I would almost prefer that. Um, I'm a big believer that long-term sustained moves, you know, build slowly. I mean, I mean, I guess you could argue this has been building for two or three years now. But um, on this breakout, I think I think a bit of a consolidation is healthy. Um, if we saw a rocketing move, you know, up to $1,500, $1,600, I would become a little bit more cautious that this is some kind of head fake move. So personally, um, I think... I think a pullback below 1400 is is just as likely as, as carrying on with it. it. In my mind, it's kind of immaterial. I, I think the I think the mid to long term picture is looking extremely bullish. Um, so, you know, were we to end up back below 1300 again, I might have to reevaluate my my position on that. Um, the fundamentals have looked good for you know 10, 
10 to 15 years, <laughs> um, that's not going to change. Um, it's just in the very short term, I'm, I'm, I always look at the technicals because I find them interesting, but I think quite frankly, they're, they're irrelevant. And I, th I think the, the stage is set and the technicals look mid to long term continue to look extremely supportive. So for novice gold investors uh, and buyers who are listening right now, can you describe why a consolidation below the $1,400 price is a healthy move for gold? Well, you know, whenever you have a move in a price, you need to have ammo to take the price higher. So if you've got if all the money, if, if if everyone's money is already positioned in a trade, there's no new there's no new money flowing in to drive prices higher. Um, prices are always set by the marginal buyer, and if there is no marginal money coming in, the prices won't go higher. Um, so what a consolidation does is it washes out all the weak hands and the sort of more hot money, um, and then usually if, if you're going to move higher, that that selling gets gets soaked up, which is why you get a sideways movement for a while, right? You get the, the flighty of the capital flowing out and you've got stronger hands accumulating that those positions. Um, and then once the, the flighty money is done selling and, and getting out, the buying overwhelms and the, the prices go higher and then you get more FOMO buying from the people that just, just got out. So that's what a consolidation does. It, it, acts to wipe out the, the, the weaker hands uh, and freeze up capital to potentially flow back in once once the, the soaking is over. Um, bearing in mind as well that, you know, the, the gold space is in a closed system. So you, you know, this is what will really drive a long-term bull market is you will end up getting capital that flows in from outside the sector that currently has no positioning in the gold space. Right now, I'm of the opinion that Pretty much the only capital in the precious metal space is, is still the diehard gold bugs that have been flipping stocks and you know futures contracts between each other for years because it, it's been a pretty tough space to be for a long period of time. But um, keep an eye out on the money flow um, from the more generalist crowd because that too is what you know when, when we get that generalist capital starting to come back into the sector, that's when you really get these sustained long-term trends that, that go for very long periods of time and, and take prices, you know, much, much higher than, than you'd expect. Yeah. So that's a really good segue to my next question about the actual gold miners. And we always keep talking about, you know, what's it going to take to get more retail money back into these juniors? And I've even heard juniors aren't going to take off until the retail money comes into the sector. Um, have the gold miners regained some of that money in the past month with this with this gold move, or what's it going to take to do that? Uh, yeah, so there's probably many, many facets to that question that we could look at. Um, to, from my perspective, you know, being a full service broker with high net retail clients, high net worth retail clients, um, it's still pretty quiet out there. I mean, I would say it, I'm seeing a fraction of the interest that we saw even back in the little blip we had back in 2016, you know, when gold prices were were considerably lower than they are now. So I would say there is very little money in the space right now, even amongst sort of long-term diehard gold bucks. A lot of money got washed out through the last couple of years. You know, there's just been you know, the phrase that comes up is the boy that cries wolf, right? Gold sort of had so many attempts at breaking out, only to fall back. People just got wiped out, totally sick of the sector, couldn't be bothered with it, I'm moving on. Um, Interestingly, I haven't seen a whole lot of interest return yet, despite the gold price moving higher. Um, what's it going to take? I think it's going to take 
it's going to take a while consolidating um, above this sort of $1,375, $1,400 range. People don't believe it. People don't believe it's going to carry on with it. People think this is going to be temporary. It's a, it's a, it's a fake break. Um, it's going to pull back. You know, the amount of clients that I talk to that say, "Oh, I'm interested, but uh, you know, it's going to pull back. I'm going to wait for a pullback," is is significant. Um, and that's that's part of the reason why uh, why I'm sort of keeping an open mind to the fact that maybe it doesn't pull back this time. Who, who really knows? Um, again, I think it's a material, and if you've got a mid to long term outlook. Um, but one other, with reference to the miners. One a major factor is we've got to see these miners starting to look like legitimate businesses again, and that is generating a decent return on invested capital for their shareholders. You know, it's it's been a really, really tough space for investors for a long, long time. There were a lot of, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, there were a lot of very poor decisions that were made by management teams towards the end of the last cycle, and they have paid the price for that for the last five to 10 years. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's interestingly, the balance sheets and decisions since have, have been much better and they've gone about deleveraging and fixing up balance sheets and things like that. Um, so I think now is the, the gold sector is a better, a better in, uh, space to be than it's ever been, at least in the last decade, certainly. Um, but it's going to take a while. It's going to take many quarters, I think, you know, even even a year or two of improved financial performance for for any sort of serious money to come back and start looking at these guys again en masse. Um, I will say, you know, and I, I, I never give up an opportunity to talk about the Aussie space, but, you know, it's kind of been night and day with the Aussie producers versus the North American producers. Um, you know, a big part of my client portfolios has, has ended up in the Aussie Aussie miners over the last couple of years, um, two or three years, because they have been good businesses. If you, if you go and have a look at what they've been able to achieve, um, they have been good a good place for investors to park their capital. You know, they've generated phenomenal returns. Um, their balance sheets, most of them are now in a net cash position, um, generating, you know, very, very good um, free cash flow yields, you know, return on invested capital, et cetera. So, um, there have been bright spots, um, but we, we need to see the rest of the sector, you know, continue to improve and give it give it six to 12 months of positive financial performance with the help of a rising gold price. And I think we'll start to see some investors come back. So I was having a conversation with a colleague of mine from Vancouver a few weeks ago, and he said something that really has stuck in my head ever since. And he said, Right now in this sector, it seems like you're investing in, in mostly just a stock, not necessarily a company. And do you think that if we do start seeing a bigger bull move in gold and more money coming into the junior mining sector, that some of these stocks will still remain stocks and the companies that maybe shouldn't be there will continue to continue to push themselves into uh, uh, an investment mode, uh, much like we saw. It just seems like not enough of these companies really just went away, right? So, do you fear like do you fear that some of these companies will pop back up again? Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting one because, in my opinion, the time to invest invest in the sector and treat your investments as, as investments rather than a, you know, playing a stock for a quick fire gain is actually at the bottom. 
Um, you know, that's when that's when the cream stands out the most. Um, but you are right. It is something that I've thought about. There are a lot of zombies or companies that, quite frankly, I would argue most of the junior space should not exist or, or offers zero value to, to long-term to investors. Um, they're liabilities, really, um, with very little chance of, of success. Um, so that that is a problem. Um, but you, you get that phenomenon in just about every speculative sector. You know, if you go to biotech or, you know, the, the Bitcoin crypto space or, you know, any of these sectors that attract speculative capital, you end up with that kind of a problem. Um, there's just the... In my opinion, but it's human nature. It's a bizarre tendency to try and hit, get rich quick, um, which attracts the kind of capital that will just, you know, speculate on things that have very little fundamental or if not negative value. Um, it's, it's always going to be the case. I, I don't think we'll ever see a complete slate clean where, you know, two thirds of the juniors go away. They, they just die hard or they they reverse IPO into the next hot thing, you know, weed stocks or Bitcoin or whatever it is, and you'll get a 10, 25% reduction in companies. A few will go out the back door, but it's just the way the, the junior sector is going to always be, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you real quick about silver. We've seen a, a gold-silver ratio close to, I mean, above 90 for about six or seven weeks now. Uh, do you pay attention to that ratio, and what's your quick thoughts on silver? Oh, it comes up a lot. Uh, so I pay attention to it because I have to because I get asked about it. Um, personally, I don't I give it very little credence um, other than it being a, a sentiment indicator really. Um, uh, I think the fact that silver silver is basically acting like the low beta um, metal of the two, you know, contrary to what it usually does, that to me is a symptom of the disinterest from the speculative crowd in the precious metal space still. Uh, more than anything else, you know, for example, you know, today I see gold's down a percent, whereas silver's only down, you know, 0.7 percent at the moment. You know, there's just not much happening in the, in the silver space at the moment. Um, everyone knows that, you know, gold, silver usually moves three or four or five times whatever gold does over a long period of time, um, that, or at least that's what it's done historically. So, you know, when you start seeing silver take off, um, that's when you know that, Speculative capital is starting to flow back in and looking for the hot, the hot, you know, the hot, the hot names in the, in the precious metal space. Um, you know, personally, to me, that that's a time when I start looking in my portfolios and thinking, what should we take profit on? Um, but other than that, you know, I I personally prefer the gold space. I think there's a lot more investable uh, options in the gold space. There's, there are very few silver miners that I personally get excited about. That's me. I'm, I'm a little bit more conservative. Um, and, you know, I like to invest more than speculate or play the stock, you know, play a stock like we just talked about. Um, I find it hard to find miners in the silver space that really get me get me going. And saying that, you know, if you want to make quick fire money and you want to speculate on price movement, silver stocks, are they're like gold on steroids once things get going. So that, that's what that's what I look at it for, for clients that want that kind of thing. You are very well known as a base metals guy, especially on your the technicals that you look at. And I would encourage anybody listening if they haven't followed you on Twitter to do so because you put up some really good information up there. Um, I guess I, you know, we could have a whole another conversation about base metals, but we don't have that time. Uh, but just real quick, to what effect 
are these trade wars and talks affecting these prices on the overall spectrum of base metals? Yeah, it's it's been huge actually. Um, it, you know, as soon as this trade talk, the trade war talks and narrative came along, all the base metals fell off a cliff. Um, China is obviously the most significant consumer and you know we're not talking five ten percent we're talking 30 40 sometimes 50 or 60 percent of the global production of these of these base metals so it is having a huge effect on sentiment um at the moment it's it's really hard to figure out because we we've got a dichotomy of, of, of data here on the one hand the, the the supply side looks extremely tight you know we've got very low inventory levels We've got, you know, smelter costs and penalties that are extreme lows, which signify that markets are tight. You know, copper market in particular is supposedly extremely tight based on those metrics. Yet we've got prices that are uh, very low or struggling. There's almost no upside pressure on, on the base metal prices at the moment. Um, you know, zinc's fallen off a cliff lately, for example. Um, so it's, it's really, really been hard for me to figure out what's going on. Um, I I do think we'll see a case where if the trade war magically get resolved, um, you know, it'll be game on for, for base metals. Uh, I don't usually play those kind of geopolitical sentiment swings because um, I think mostly they're noise. I do think this trade war situation has been had a little bit more impact than usual on, on sentiment just because just of how significant it is to China. Um, but, you know, longer term, the, the base metals, you know, copper in particular, copper and nickel are my two two standout long-term base metal picks. Um, the long-term supply-demand fundamentals are extremely bullish. Um, Short-term, though, you know, I could, see, I could see more pain before we get some gain. But there's a whole lot of other factors that will play into it. You know, the dollar's a major one, which technically I think looks pretty bearish. In, in, you know, contrary to what most people are saying these days, um, but yeah, it's it's a tough one right now. I, I'm leaning I'm leaning short term bearish, long term long term very bullish. Speaking of base metals, I did want to ask you a question along the lines of the preliminary economic assessments. Uh, there was one company that just released a PEA last week. Uh, it's a Zinc Explorer, and they were kind of given a pretty tough time for using a $1.20 zinc base case in their PEA. And I go back, and I know a lot of people think of PEAs as you don't, they don't give it too much of a grain of salt because it's a very, very, very early look at what could be. Um, but do you think uh, for other PEAs maybe come down in, the, in this base case exploration that they're going to be having to use those higher prices that, you know, could change. I mean, the spot prices of these metals could change all of a sudden if a trade war is uh, negotiated and, and you know uh, taken care of, or you know, like what what's a reasonable price for these metals in in that stage of development? Yeah. So you've always, I mean, before you see that uh, any PEA or scoping study, as it's called in Aussie, um, you basically your default view of those should be that they're a sales document rather than uh, rather than reality. More often than not, they're very optimistic, you know. Once once you go down the path of producing a pre-fees or a fees, the, the numbers are going to look a lot worse. Um, not always, but but often. So that's your that should always be your, your first uh, your default thinking going into a PEA. Uh, 
Number two, what prices should should they be using? You know, you you really hope that they use something that's realistic, and by realistic I mean, what you know, what realistic price over a false commodity price cycle um, should they be using? Um, unless a commodity has been on a tear, for for example, I remember looking at some studies a few years ago in the cobalt space when that got really hot. Um, they were using close to spot price, but the the commodity price was up 100% in six months. Is that a realistic long-term price? Arguably not, and in hindsight, definitely not. Um, you know, in today's kind of depressed market, you'd, you'd be wanting to see them using something around spot. You know, even even below spot. Um, none, none of them are going to. No company's going to do that. You know, it, like I said, it's more of a PEAs are almost more of a marketing document. I get why companies. You know, you ask why would a company logically use a lower price. Um, when it's just going to get used to be compared against their peers. Um, there's no real incentive for companies to do that unless they have a absolutely tier one, blow it away PEA and they want to show just how good their project is even at lower commodity prices. Those are actually the companies that I'm interested in. Um, what you want to see though, what I always look for um, in any, in any uh, economic assessment, um, whether it be a PEA, PFS, whatever, um, is you want to scroll through and hopefully the company has included a sensitivity table. You know, most of the time they will. Um, if they don't, you really want to hit up management and get one, or you want to look at the full uh, the full document once it gets filed, um, and you want to look for that sensitivity table. It'll have sensitivity to discount rates. It'll have sensitivity to commodity prices. It'll have sensitivity often to mining costs, et cetera, et cetera. That's actually more, most useful for me because I can then go in and lift the hood up and look how this project looks at at whatever commodity price I personally think is long term realistic, um, and that's really useful depending on what I'm trying to achieve. You know, more often than not, I'm, I want something that's robust even at low economic prices. Sometimes, you know, I get clients that want optionality. You know, they want something that. Um, it doesn't make any sense at current prices, but they have a fundamental view that you know zinc's going to be 50% higher in two years, and so they want a name that's going to have significant leverage to that zinc price. Um, no, that's not my default. That's not my favourite, but everyone, every investor has their own things that they like. I can then go and look at those tables and figure out, you know, just how much leverage these things are going to have. Um, so keep a lookout for those sensitivity tables and make sure you really do take a look at those. Well, what about the uh, the gold explorers? I mean, I think it was a, you know it was only a year ago where we would see PEAs and PFSs that had a thirteen hundred or thirteen fifty uh, base case uh, spot price on gold, but it doesn't seem like they've been rewarded much. I mean, maybe I guess I guess that's uh, could be subjective, but in my opinion, maybe they haven't been awarded much for since the gold prices moved up. And that's to be frank, that's that's a symptom of the continued disinterest in the junior junior part of the gold space um, more than the the relative merits of the economics of the project um, chances are I don't, you know you'd, I'd have to discuss specific cases with you to, to give you a you know an answer on that one but um, quite often than not chances are the PEAs there's probably other aspects of the PEA that are fairly unrealistic um, as well in saying that though I am seeing PEAs that I've seen, that do look moderately robust. Um, you know, they've used a $1,300 gold price, and there's not too many warts in the rest of the document, um, and they're still not getting any love yet. Um, so, in my opinion, that'll change. 
but you know the speculative money doesn't come in on day one it, it speculative money flows into sectors after they've had a run um, and they're, they're definitely not the first first money in so we're still in that we're still waiting for that first big wave of capital to flow in in my opinion and we haven't seen it yet and so watch this space okay well, Sam, that's all the questions. Well, I have more questions for you, but that's about all the time we have. But I do want to give you uh, a, a little bit of time. The Sprott uh, Resource Investment Symposium is coming up. It sounds like you are on a panel with uh, Mr. Brent Cook, which should be good for people attending that. Uh, how else can people reach you? Yeah, sure. Um, if you're at the conference, I think it's Tuesday afternoon about 2.30. I think Brent's chairing a panel that I'm on. So if you are at that conference... Come along, have a listen. Um, even hit me up afterwards. I'd be more than happy to have a chat with you. Um, if you want to know more about what we do here at Sprott, um, my email is sbroom, so S-B-R-O-O-M, at sprottglobal.com. Uh, flick me an email. I'd be more than happy to, to chat to you about what we do here at Sprott. Um, you know, yeah, just give me, give me an email and I can uh, have a chat with you. And you're also willing to take a look at the names on people's portfolios too and give give them an assessment. Yeah, so Rick, this is, this is what Rick Rick Rule, my boss, uh, often does. Is he he often never I've never heard of him. So. <laughs> yeah, he, he often gives a you know a complimentary no obligations ranking of people's portfolios. So I can't give you specific comments necessarily, but you know he gives them a one to ten uh, ranking. Um, that way you know it's a way to start some dialogue and if, if you're interested in learning more you know we can, i can give you some more information about how we can help you build the absolute best performing natural resource mining portfolio possible so that's that's what we do every day it's a great offer sam thank you so much for your time and your due diligence and your feedback and uh we appreciate everything you said uh we will catch you again have a great time up in vancouver at the symposium and we will chat with you soon thanks trevor it's been it's been fun let's do it again Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein.